Welcome to the RGG EDU podcast, where they talk a little photography and drink a lot of whiskey. Season three of the RGG EDU podcast is brought to you by Smug Mug. Yeah, they got a ridiculous grin and the name is funny, but Smug Mug is serious about photography. If you're ready to upgrade your photo game online, get your ass over to SmugMug.com to see where the pros are storing, showing, and selling their images. In this episode, we're joined with Rick Salmon, like the fish. Only he's a person. Educator, <laughs> photographer, author, traveler, kind of does it all. Musician, correct? Got my latest guitar shirt on, right? There you go. Yeah. Rick, thank you for joining us. We are thank also you. alongside Rob Grimmigan. I'm always here. I'm Rob always at your side. Rob, Gr- Rob Gr- Grimmigan. Grimmigan. That should be your last name. Grimmigan. <laughs> <laughs> and Renee Robin. Still blue. Still blue, still, still here. Blue. Yeah. Still surviving. So, so, Rick, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. I think I might go blue. We're talking about blue hair color. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, yeah. You know as the I older you get, the good. gray you get, I think the blue might be a nice touch. Have you ever dyed your hair? Uh, no. No. Well, well, See, you haven't lived. You haven't lived. You could be a <laughs> merman. You could be like like the blue-haired merman. This is why I came to Photoshop World. MJ, head to CVS right now, and you have 20 <laughs> minutes to get blue hair dye. We're going to get rum and cokes after this and blue hair dye for Rick. We could also do it with a blue Sharpie marker, just like the tips, you know? <laughs> just the tip, just to see how it looks. I like, wasn't going the there. What the hell is with these guys? <laughs> oh, you, did you that, see how quickly that's degraded into on his face? No, but, but it's, it's really good because you make the, the guests feel at ease, right? We're right. just not getting down, oh, let's talk about F-stops and shutter speeds and, you know, this and that. No, no, no. So it's good. No, we're in fact, we're going to totally avoid f-stop and shutter speed. We want to know stories about you and your life. And so for our audience who might not know about you, give yeah. us a little bit of a rundown of who you are and what yeah. you do. Well, I tell people my specialty. People ask all the time, you know, here, Rick, what's your specialty? And I always say that my specialty is not specializing <laughs> because I do really like to do it all. And, you know, I was in uh, PR and advertising for a long time. And when I was in PR and advertising, I saw all these great photographers and I said, I want to be a photographer. So I was in PR and advertising from 1980 to 1990. And then in 1990, I started doing this and writing books. And now uh, 37 books later, uh, 14 classes on Kelby one and, and having travel. Well, I, I type fast. Well, that's that's the key. <laughs> Typing fast and not reading it. This is this is the key. I type fast and I have my wife or my brother read it, you know, proofread it before I send it off to the publisher. Were, were any of them on a typewriter? Uh, yes. I knew it. Nice. I knew it. Well, that's a manly move, right? Okay, there. I'm going to ask Renee <laughs> it's a the question. Manliest thing I've heard all week. Can you name the four Beatles? No. Oh. Sorry, I know, I know. I've never listened to the Beatles. This this goes back to the typewriter, right? I I go to these conferences and people can't name the four Beatles. I can't believe it. But anyway, uh, getting back to what I do, I've been to about 100 countries. uh, And, you know, for me, my camera is like a... It's like a magic carpet, you know, that I would never go to these places like uh, Sri Lanka and Antarctica and go inside a Buddhist or a Hindu temple. There's some pictures in the Photoshop World book here from one of the Hindu temples we were in. You know, it gives you a license to do things you normally wouldn't yeah. do. And it's uh, it's just been an amazing, amazing experience. I so, n- never would have guessed. What was your pathway? Because you didn't walk out of an ad agency and into a Buddhist temple. What? How did, how did, <laughs> how did you go about That could be the title of your next book, though. Yeah. Like, actually, that's a good idea. Let's copyright that before. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. actually, getting back to Renee yeah. and, the, and the Beatles, when I saw the Beatles on TV in 1964, I said I want to be a musician. Because I saw Paul McCartney on TV. He says, you play guitar. I see my guitar shirt. He says, you play guitar is a great way to get chicks. Right. Okay, so figure, you know, 1964 and 14, I thought, hey, this could be a good idea. So uh, I went to Berkeley College of Music after high school. Oh, I was, you were serious about it. Berkeley oh, is... Yeah. Yeah. Berkeley and Boston. Yeah, that's a serious deal. And I still play every day. And actually, on my website, I have a lot of uh, different things. My yeah, we work, saw that. Workshops. I have Rick's Music Room. Right. And I have online lessons, and I give private lessons online through Skype. So um, I just love to do it all. So anyway, the pathway, I went to uh, music school. I'm in my apartment trying to, you know, get rich and famous. It, like, wasn't working. Mm -hmm. So I sent a picture to a magazine, and they loved it, and they published it. The first picture I ever sent to a magazine, they loved it, and they published it. What was it of? Uh, actually, it was a picture of me in a toaster. It was a Rick pic. <laughs> it was a Rick pic. But what was interesting... <laughs> you were in a toaster. 
I was in, reflected in the toaster. <laughs> and what was interesting, I used a Linhoff 4x5 view camera, nice. which uh, has a tilt and swings that actually yeah. kind of lets you see around right. the corner. So it was like a trick shot without before Photoshop was invented, before Rene was born, uh, and before the Beatles got famous. Before Gary was born. <laughs> before Gary was born. Yeah, I'm an 80s baby. There you go. So anyway, uh, then they asked me to write an article. I wrote the article. They loved it. Then the publisher of the magazine calls me up and says, Salmon, we love you. Will you be the editor of the magazine? A photography magazine. Wait, wait, wait. You go from one image to being the editor of the magazine? One image and one article. Good Lord. I know. <laughs> So, well, you know what? What was the, what was the article? Foolish, foolish people, or they really a, saw something in you. What it, was, it, <laughs> what was well, the I think what they saw seriously was dedication, passion, and enthusiasm. Yeah. And I took the Dale Carnegie course in 1985. You know the course. And uh, in that course, they say you have to be enthusiastic. Basically, you're selling yourself in life, right? Right. You're, you're promoting yourself. So anyway, I go for the interview. They hired me to be the editor with zero experience. I'm a musician, right? So this is pretty funny. <clears throat> so then I'm interviewing really famous photographers, Karsh of Ottawa. I wouldn't ask at this table who knows about him, but anyway. I have, I have the Karsh book. Yeah. Karsh, isn't he amazing? He's oh like God. the Ansel Adams of portraiture. What was it like sitting down with him? Well, it was amazing yeah. uh, because... Back then, I think today, a lot of photographers, we were talking before about the, you know, getting a million followers on social media. A lot of photographers, they play the role, oh, it's really cool to be a famous photographer. Back then, <clears throat> the photographers were interested in the art and craft of being a photographer. You know, Dorothea Lang, Alfred Eisenstadt, I interviewed. Uh, you know, Car Shavada was Scavulo. Uh, Eisen, uh, Eisen so anyway, all these photographers. So anyway, <clears throat> I'm at the magazine for three years. And then in 1980, uh, Minolta's PR agency called me up and they said, we want you to help them head up the Minolta PR with zero experience. So I did that for 10 years. Oh, crazy. But five years into that, I know I didn't want to do it. I know I wanted to do what I'm doing now. So I made a plan. Like I said, 100 countries later, I'm still doing it. So you you set out, it took you five years of kind of uh, wrapping planning. up Minolta, knowing that you needed to build your book and kind of lay Well, I was foundation. actually writing books under other names while, oh, I, was, really? while I was doing Pen that. Names. Why, why under, under well, other I would have gotten fired. I <laughs> 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 would have gotten fired because, uh, you know, they don't want you to do other things. What, what was your pen name? Uh, Richard Michaels. Richard Michaels. Yeah. Two first names. I like Richard, it. Yeah. <laughs> so and then, uh, you know... Actually, while I was at that agency, I was uh, getting into scuba diving, which is a whole other story. I mean, I'm the luck. Well, no. let's, let's hear it. Well, Ringo's the luckiest guy in the world, I think, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. he was one of the Beatles, I, by the way. Now that you're mentioning that, he's like, yeah, of course I know those names, but <laughs> I can't think of them off the top of my head. So anyway, I'm at the um, – actually, this happened when I was at the magazine, okay? It was a photography magazine, but I was also the editor – of the most boring magazine on the planet, which was a magazine for photo processing labs, okay, where, you know, they used to have these labs, and I would go there and do stories how they process the films. <clears throat> the head of this lab in Dallas, Texas, and I really didn't want to go there because it was such a boring job interviewing these people, <clears throat> happened to be the head of a marine conservation organization called CDEM International. And after he read the article that I wrote about him, in the magazine that I had no experience, right, as the editor right. of this. He says, I want you to be the editor of our newsletter. I said, what does it involve? He says, well, you have to learn how to scuba dive and take underwater pictures. Dream come true. So I did it, and he sent me to uh, Belize, Central America, where we work with marine archaeologists uh, diving on Spanish shipwrecks. He liked uh -huh. what I did, and then they sent me to uh, Mexico, where we did stories on the sacred well of Chichen Itza, where the mines used to... Tossing jewel-encrusted virgins. And, oh, it's amazing. So we did, did all this archaeological stuff. Then the guy says, you know, I'm going to retire. We'd like you to be the president of the organization. So from 1980 to 2000, I was the president. Scuba dived everywhere on the planet, including Lake Baikal, oh, the oldest, largest, Baikal. deepest lake in the world in Siberia. Really? And the reason we were there... What's in Lake Baikal? How deep are we That's the here? question. Well, it's I don't know exactly how deep, but it has more water than all the freshwater lakes here. Combined? Combined. Wow. So what's in wow. it? 
Well, they have a lot of different uh, aquatic life, but they have the only freshwater seal species in the world. They're the nerpa. Ah, so cool. we went there, we're driving on the ice, and these tables, you know, a little, maybe not three feet wide that we're sitting at, right? We'd take a chainsaw, and we'd cut holes in the ice and dive down and look in the ice for these caves that the uh, nerpers would make to raise their young. And we could see them where they were because of the bubbles in the ice. So uh, they cut the hole, and they tie a rope on your wrist. <laughs> so if you die, oh, they, they could get the out. body back, <laughs> but also to see if you're alive. All right. Okay, so uh, we're driving on the ice, and we, had, we have a truck for our scuba diving gear, a truck for eating, and a truck for sleeping. So we're there in the spring, right, and the ice is there, and there's like a million cracks. You can find these pictures on the web. And I say to the, uh, the, the, uh, the head scientist, we were working with the head of the Limnological Institute there, I said, when do you guys stop driving on the ice? You know, because it, there's no ice in the, uh, in the summer. He says, when the first truck falls through. <laughs> and with that, did one of the trucks go right down? No, but I'm scuba diving. <laughs> I see a truck down the bottom. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but, uh, all this, I think all this, if you could sum up like why I'm still doing this at 67, I think it's writing. And there's a million photographers out there. Uh, but only half a million write. So I think writing today is the key. It's also fun. You know, there's an expression, you know, a writer lives forever. So I'm just wondering why so many writers are dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I think it's really fascinating the things that photography can teach you what you wind up learning about like nerpas who, who in the world would have thought about that i mean the, never you, even heard of a nerpa i know to have that opportunity to learn about all that unusual wildlife and see some of those places that happened only because of the conduit of photography exactly exactly and you know you know traveling is a great education mm -hmm. and the reason i stopped scuba diving is because i didn't need another picture of a nerpa or a clownfish or a whale shark and when i went to these places it was the people that fascinated me and although you know i joke around my specialty is not specializing it's the people you know i've met the most unbelievable people around the world in in hindu temples buddhist temples uh, you know and sometimes, actually, I get emotional when I look at some of these pictures that I've taken that mean so much to me that are in my books. And, you know, <clears throat> these people forgot about me. I'm in their lives for a couple of seconds or minutes, mm -hmm. but they're with me forever. And it's really cool. It's really a cool feeling to, uh, to – that's for me. You know, it's not the F-stops and the shutter speeds. I know we promised not to talk about those. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's not that. It's about that connection. And I think that camera, you know uh, – you know, like a microphone, you know, we're, we're connected here. Absolutely. I, I think a camera. So I, I know you, you photograph everything. And when, when you talk about that connection, do you feel connected to animal life that way that, that you do with human life? Because you don't get the same kind of responses. Well, I have a picture actually in the uh, in the Photoshop world book uh, over here. I'll try not to make too much noise while I'm paging through it. And uh, I'll just show you guys. I know the, the, uh, the listeners can't see it. But when a, like a lion like this yeah. is looking right in my lens and, you know, when it comes to photographing a person or an animal, seeing eye to eye and shooting eye to eye is the key. You know, if you guys were standing up here, we wouldn't be relating to uh, each other as well as we're doing now if I was like lower, right? Mm -hmm. Although that's an intimidation thing some people use, right? In interviews, they put the, the person lower. Absolutely. Uh, so I think you can, uh, and I do, feel a connection. Not with a fish, right? <laughs> you know, fish is a little different. But when when a a leopard, I have a picture of a leopard. Uh, he's looking right at the camera. Yeah, I've seen that on it's, your website. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I think you'd, they don't make the connection. How, how close are you getting? Like how how I, I know you have to use a pretty long lens because yeah. you don't want to get eaten, right? Um, yeah. So what are some of the precautions you take, and what are some of the the methods that you use to actually get close enough to kind of make that connection and really relate to the animal? Well, believe it or not, uh, the animals in Kenya, Tanzania, South Africa, and Botswana, where I've been, and I'm doing a workshop there next year, uh, they come surprisingly close. They'll, cl they'll come as close as you know, conditioned as as you know, yeah, th you know, three or four feet away. Uh, because they don't, they don't see the you in the vehicle as food. The, the vehicle smells like oil or whatever. 
So they come relatively close. So I shoot with wide-angle lenses and I shoot with uh, telephoto lenses. Um, but actually, when it comes to wildlife, a tip is you don't want to shoot them close for exactly what we were just talking about. If they're, you know, two feet away, uh, you're looking down at the animal. So it's mm -hmm. better to have them further away so you have that uh, eye contact. Perspective. Tell me about the time you cheated death. The time I cheated death? Uh, well, there were a couple of times. The first time yeah. I was scuba diving in 1980, I ran out of air at 130 feet. Oh, God. What was that, what's that like? It was scary as heck. Fortunately, there's a buddy there, and we buddy breathe uh, to the surface. But, you know, the deeper you go, the more air you use. And it was my first time scuba diving in, in the ocean because I learned how to scuba dive in New York. And that was pretty scary. Another time, <clears throat> we were night diving. Wait, that's an oxymoron, learning to scuba dive in New York. Think about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could go on a night dive. You could go on a night yeah. dive on a sunny day. In the Hudson, right? Just kidding. Uh, another time, this was actually uh, very scary. We were in Venezuela, and we're uh, exploring this lost city of Nueva Cadiz, which is like uh, this old Spanish city. First city in uh, South America, Spanish city in South America. So anyway, we're exploring this barge, which was next door. It was beautifully covered with corals and all this stuff. So we said, let's do a night dive on it. And at night, it's totally different than the day because all the corals come out, the nocturnal creatures come out, the diurnal creatures go in. Anyway, uh, at night, you just have a flashlight and you, you can only see what's in the beam. So we're going down, going down to the barge and we get... We get to uh, the, all this coral life, and we're shining our flashlights, taking pictures. Okay, we're looking at our gauge. It's time to go up. We go up, and we're inside the barge. We see ceiling, okay, and our air is getting low. What happened is we went down in a hole, right? And then we went, uh, we went in one direction. So we didn't know we were in. Oh. And then we all held hands, and we all uh, finally, thank God, we uh, we got out. Yeah, that's terrifying. So that, do, you, do you think to do a lot of what, what you've done in your life, do you have to have a, a fear of death? Or, or how do you respect that to, to know, like, this could take my life right now, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway? I would say I've never thought about that. <clears throat> so an absence Seems of it. Seems to be it. a theme. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, don't, I don't think about that. You know, I think if I thought about it, I'd stay home and watch uh, – Watch, uh, uh, I started to think of a series that I watched, Hell on Wheels. Did you guys see Hell on Wheels? Mm -mm. Wasn't that awesome? Yeah, it was pretty awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> it's a Western. It's a Western about the train being built. <clears throat> Bad title. All right, so best countries and countries you probably wouldn't go back to. The best and worst. Well, Antarctica. We were in Antarctica <clears throat> with Abercrombie and Kent uh, over Christmas. And... Antarctica is amazing. But on the trip, we also went to the Falkland Islands and South Georgia. And in South Georgia, we saw one day tens of thousands of penguins, tens of thousands of penguins at one time going up this hill. Wow. And just to see and smell tens of thousands of penguins <laughs> was an incredible, incredible. What does that smell like? Ooh, bad. Dead fish. Yeah, dead, dead fish. old, rotting, dead fish. Does it smell anything like the Salton Sea? Have you been there in California? I have been to the Salton Sea. Is okay. it similar stench? It's about 10. It's actually the Salton Sea is worse. All right. Have you seen the Salton Sea with I've... Val Kilmer? <laughs> I'm just talking about. It's actually a good movie. I it is. Movie. There's a movie of it? It's called The Salton Sea. And it, it happens out there? It does, yeah. Oh, God. Val Kilmer, uh, Vincent. D'Onofrino, or how do you ever see his last name? Pretty good. Hey, Renee, in 10 seconds or less, or 20 seconds or 30, why don't you describe to the listeners what the Salton Sea is? The Salton Sea is a huge environmental dis disaster, massive disaster, and the smell is unbelievable. I was there in August, which is the worst time to go. It was, uh, let me see here, what is it in Fahrenheit? It was 125 degrees Fahrenheit, and it is just the smell of death. Because there's millions, millions and millions and millions of dead fish. All around, and they keep dying. And, yeah. it's, in Cal it's not too far from San Diego. Why did, what happened? It used to be a resort. From my understanding, it was a, a planned resort, and there were mis mistakes were made. And it, um, I think what happened is the air was, the lake was evaporating, and yep. then the, the concentration of the salt got too high, and it killed everything in the lake. And so the, the beaches, quote-unquote, look like sand but it's fish bones it's millions and millions and millions of fish bones 
It is, is amazing to see. Is there see, still water left in this? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. It's right. rough. It's rough. Yeah, and that's why, uh, yeah, it smells because the fish are dying. But it was going to be the Vegas. They yes. thought it was going to be like Vegas. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. It was going to be a resort and it turned out to be a, oh, just a just huge like, like man-made disaster. It was a disaster. Yeah. The thing, I want to see somebody, and I don't know if it's a safe idea or not. I want to see a, the stories of the people who live there. Oh, these people are hiding from the law. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Like, there's no way you're getting their photo, yeah. but yeah. wow. They live in, like, these uh, Airstream trailers that, you know, were stopped being made in, like, 1946. Seriously. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's cool. Wow, it's incredible. But actually, yeah. this is a photography podcast. Pretty good photo opportunities with these abandoned buildings and the trailers, right? Yeah. If you don't get shot. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> it. Why exactly. Can't you clean if you this can up? survive, there's no way there's you no can way. there's no way you can fix that. Well, not with that attitude. Yeah, I agree with Gary. Not with that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> we got fresh water that can that people can drink. I don't know if it's it's yeah. bad. It is so bad. But it's stunning at the same time. It's beautiful. But bring shoes that you can throw out. I mean, we almost threw out all of our clothes. We could not get the smell And bug spray. Weeks. There's a lot of flies eating the dead fish. Uh, we didn't have too many flies yeah. in August, but I don't know. Maybe it was just because it was too hot. But it's good to know the penguins don't smell as bad as salt and sea. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I gotta know this. What's keeping the fish? How can I know, they keep I don't know. procreating I don't know when they're all dying at the I same know. time? This is weird. I don't know that. I'm not. I'm a photographer, not a biologist. Right, I'm looking this up. You got to see it. Biologist. <laughs> Rick, when was the last time you were thrown in jail? It's never been thrown in jail. Never been thrown in jail. <laughs> never been thrown in jail. Internationally, almost running with the law. How about kicked out of a country? No. No. I abide by, by, nice yeah, by the rules. The only, I would say the biggest mistake I made, and it could have been bad, but it wasn't. Uh, we're in India and we're in Varanasi. And along the river there, they cremate, cremate people. And I knew not to photograph the cremations. So we're there at night. And but it just looked it just looked amazing, right? All these fires, you know, along the river at sunset. It was actually kind of beautiful. And I think it's a beautiful way to send someone off, you know. Mm-hmm. I was raised Catholic and you go to a Catholic funeral, all the ladies in black crying and things like that, right? right. So anyway, I thought it was a beautiful thing. So I raised my camera, I took a picture, and I was surrounded. My wife and I were surrounded by about 15 people yelling at us, like, you shouldn't do this. So it, that was a little scary. Are they afraid that you're taking the soul away? Not or something there. From, they just knew that I was breaking the rules. Yeah. And that's my. I think that's the only time in my whole career that I broke the so-called rules. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen a huge evolution in gear. Yeah. You know, I mean, the way you must have traveled in the beginning of your career with gear versus now. Yeah. Huge dichotomy. Well, you know, I started underwater. Imagine underwater shooting slide film. You ever see slide film? With a Nikonos 5 or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. With that on, I had a Canon camera in the housing. But, you know, on one roll of 36, if you got one picture, you were so happy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you were really happy. And there was no forgiveness. You had to be you had, back then. You had to be really good. Right. Today, you shoot raw files. You could be off by three or four stops and still get an amazing picture. So it's people today who who never shot uh, film do not know how lucky they are. Did you carry all your unprocessed film, or did you ship it back, or did you try to process it in foreign countries? How'd that work? I always brought it back. Yeah, but I was lead it was so important and, back then. Yeah, and yeah. those lead bags, which really didn't do anything. Yeah. I was well, it made going, you feel better. Well, Honestly, it make you, it you feel, feel better. better. <laughs> but, you know, I'm going through an airport x-ray, and the uh, the guy, he was pressing a couple of buttons. I said, what are you doing? He says, I'm upping the x-ray so I can see into the bag. So it doesn't do anything. Right. But it didn't hurt the film. <laughs> but I would drive the film to the lab the day I came home, and I would pick it up the next day because I couldn't, couldn't wait. Yeah. Well, I couldn't wait. I also couldn't have it lost. Yeah. You know, today I back up in three places, and you know, people don't know how lucky they are. The film days were different. Yes. Sure. Let's, let's go through your backup process. I'm curious. Oh, my backup process? When I travel, I have my MacBook Pro, and I have uh, GTEC portable drives, 500 gigabytes, and uh, I have two in case one, one uh, gets full or whatever. So I have my pictures on my uh, laptop and on my hard drive. And when I come back, I have a hard drive in my office, two hard drives in my office, a hard drive in the house. And the hard drive that I download my files to in the field, 
I always like label that 2016 or 2017 or whatever. So they're, they're backed up in a lot of places. And a lot of people ask me, how come I don't store on the cloud? I think they're just in enough places right now. What happens if your house burns down, right? Well, that's, we have an office next oh. to the house. That's the wood which could catch fire from the house, well, right? It, Is so, it next, so, right next door? No, it's, oh, it's okay. a couple hundred feet away. All right. Yeah. You're safe then. You passed the, pass the test. Yeah. So what are some countries you're looking forward to going to next? Uh, well, I've been to so many. Um, I, don't, I think I've been to every country. Well, <laughs> so I don't know. You know, where would I go Isn't back? there like 300 almost? Well, yeah. But, you know, but a lot of similar. Yeah. You know, so if you go, you know. To wherever, but I've been. We just came back from Route 66, and if you haven't done Route 66, have you done it? Yeah, yeah, I've done Route 66. It's awesome. Did you like uh, Tucumcari? Were you there with the Blue Swallow Motel? I didn't stay at the motel. No, I just did the drive. My favorite part was uh, let me think here: Southern Colorado Mm -hmm. and then Southern Utah. Doesn't it go through Missouri? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It starts in Chicago and goes to LA. Yeah, I skipped the Chicago part. I've never been to Chicago, but. Never I've once never been, been to Chicago. To Chicago? We've been over that. Route 66 is incredible. No, what what is. were some of your favorite parts on it? Well, I would say Tucumcari with the Blue Swallow Motel was amazing. Uh, Siegelman, where this guy, Angel, uh, he's a barber, and he's called the guardian angel of uh, Route 66 because uh, Interstate 40 killed Route 66, mm-hmm. and there is no more Route 66 except for these little parts off I-40. So... This guy, he's, he has the warmest smile. I'll show you guys a picture. I know the listeners can't see it. but he has I'll describe a, it. Well, he has the warmest smile. And I had met him six years ago when we went on Route 66. And it was so nice. I took a picture of him in his barbershop. <clears throat> so I go there this year and a couple, actually just last week, and I say to his daughter, is Angel here? Oh, he's home. I said, I'd love to see him. I'll call him. The guy at 90 years old rides his bike. To his shop to say hi to me. Nice. So, you know, getting back to what photography is, that meant more to me than the picture of the Blue Swallow Motel or, uh, you know, the Grand Canyon, which is not far, picture of the Grand Canyon, which is not far from Route 66. So it's the people that I think, you know, I, I, I give more presentations, I think, than any other photographer because I love people. I love meeting people and I love sharing. And, you know, you, you learn from everybody. And and one of my philosophies is, it's not original, but it's one of my thing. One of my philosophies that I follow is we're a part of everyone we meet, and this is really true. You know, we get our personalities when we're growing up by, you know, looking at people, and we take what we want, and we don't take, you know, what we don't want. So we do become part of everyone we meet, and I think that's one of the cool things about teaching a workshop or teaching here. You know, ten years from now, someone might say, "Man." can't believe Rick Salmon told me how to do that. So it's uh, it's cool. How long have you been teaching now? I've been teaching actually, uh, well, music. I started teaching music in 1975, a guitar and piano and, and keyboards, uh, all keyboards. And uh, I've been teaching photography, I think, since 19, around ni- early 90s. It's fun. Yeah, and you know what's great about teaching? It keeps you on your toes. Makes you a better photographer. Makes you better at anything when it you does, teach it, right? Yeah. And there's an expression: if you want to become, you know, I have 37 books, working on 38. Someone said, if you want to become an expert on something, write a book about it. And this is true, you know, because you know you do an ebook or something, put something on the web, oh, you change it. If you're going to put something in a book, it better be right, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's a, uh, it's 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 really good. Do you write on the road or do you make time to, to be somewhere, be stationary, to re- really focus on the book? Uh, I write a lot on the road and on the plane. Yeah. Yeah. What are some common mistakes that you see a lot of uh, younger photographers make? Uh, thinking they're really cool. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I, I was that. I was at a, a at a – Although Renee looks so cool, right, with her pants here. Renee and her hair is cool, actually. Oh, no, she looks She's very cool and the glasses, right? But – you know, it's one thing to look cool and, you know, be yourself. And it's a, another thing to think, you're, oh, I'm a cool photographer, you know. So I'm at this uh, at this uh, uh, event and there's this young photographer there and he had like the uh, the graduated sunglasses, which I had, you know. And uh, he, he, he was just acting like he was like the coolest thing. And 
I think that's that's one mistake that you you can't believe your own um, can't believe your own PR, you know. And I think you know everyone here at Photoshop World knows what I know, and I know what some of them know. So why would someone come on my workshop or, or uh, you know, some of the other instructors' workshops? It's your personality, right? And that's everyone knows the same thing. So my advice to young people is. Try to have your personality, positive pers personality, shine through even on your web, on your web page and in your videos and stuff like that. The other mistake is uh, I think uh, some people think they're going to save the world with their photography. And you might be able to save the world with your photography, but if you don't tell anybody about it, it's like having a great car in your garage. So you have to get your work out there. You have to get your name out there. You have to spend a lot of time on social media. I spend two hours a day, at least. Do you really? Oh yeah. That's do you enjoy it, or do you kind of? I enjoy it. Yeah. I actually enjoy it uh, because I listen, and that's another th thing that some photographers don't do. They say, "Oh, I'm going to Papua New Guinea. I'm doing this. I'm going to be at Photoshop World." Right. Well, you have to listen to what people are saying. Right. You have to get that feedback. So listening is so uh, very, very important, like you guys are doing right now. Have you been to Papua New Guinea? I have been to Papua New Guinea twice. What was what was that experience like for you? It's amazing. So they have these Huli Wigman there and they have cannibalism there. I have some pictures on my phone and on my website. Don't know if you saw them. So uh, getting back to the people photography, this relates to this. <clears throat> One of the ways to get people to like me or accept me is I do magic tricks. And if you have four quarters, I could show you one of the magic MJ, tricks. MJ, go get four quarters. After, after, <laughs> after, after we could do it. He was getting up. But anyway, so I'm doing my four-quarter magic trick uh, because in Papua New Guinea because I wanted to see the skull caves where they have trophies of you know people from the cannibalism uh, ceremonies and stuff like that. So the chief says I'll take, you know, I'll take sa through my translator. He says, I'll take salmon to the uh, skull, cave, skull caves if he shows me the magic trick. Well, any, ma any uh, magician who's listening knows you can't really, you know, share a trick. Yeah. That's a magician's code, right? Yeah. Well, you can't even break the code when you're in Papua New Guinea. Well, I did. Yeah, well, there's I, I there's did. a lot of people breaking the code because a lot of people are magicians. You know, I know. Not, not, right. not right. First rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club, <laughs> but membership is growing. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I show him the trick, and so he takes me to the skull cave. So he wanted uh, to learn another trick that I do, a card trick. And if you have cards, I can show you this trick. Uh, he, he says, I'll take Rick to the cannibalism ceremony if he shows me this trick. So I skipped lunch. I didn't, I didn't do that. But being in Papua New Guinea, the, the faces of the people, they paint their faces. And we were there during what's called a Sing Sing, where clans from all over Papua New Guinea uh, – get together and they dance and they put on uh, this incredible show over several days. And there's nothing like that. There's nothing like that. It's really fun. I'm getting a little hungry. Are you guys hungry? It's like 1230. Two, two years ago, I went with uh, photographer Sandro to a Sing Sing and uh, we traveled all over Papua New Guinea and uh, it was probably the best experience. Yeah. Uh, just traveling all through there, crazy. Went to a Sing Sing, went to, went to all of it. You saw the mud med? Oh, yeah. And you saw the skeleton people? Yep. Right? Yeah, the, yeah, the, uh, the Sing Sing. Papua New Guinea is just an incredible, uh, incredible experience. Going back uh, this summer with Sandro again to finish his book, um, it's going to be awesome. Oh, good. Yeah. So you skipped the cannibalism ceremony? Skip, skipped the cannibalism yeah. ceremony. Were you That's why you might still wind up as the... Uh, as the sacrifice? No, no, no. We were we were there with uh, with a good local guide. So our our producer when we were there said that Papua New Guinea is actually the um, the source of mad cow disease. Have you heard that? No, I haven't. So he tells that. me the story, and he's an Australian producer, and he's been there like fifteen times. And he goes, "Okay, when when mad uh, mad cow disease became a thing, um, the Center for Disease Control." Um, or the World Health, Health Organization was tracking down where it came from. They ended up tracing it back to Papua New Guinea, and it's because of um, humans eating humans, because you're not supposed to do that. It's specifically the brain. So they I was say it should be the brain. They, yeah, they yeah. are deep in deep in like the northern part of Papua New Guinea where cannibalism is, 
and exploring in places where a lot of people have not seen white people, right? And they show up in full hazmat suits, like completely. Covered. Oh my god! So I imagine you've never seen a white person, and then you have these like in hazmat space invaders coming yeah. in in full hazmat. Oh my god! That must have been scary. That's yeah. worse than a mudman. You know how the mud mudman uh, came to being. So the mud men, they make these no. masks, these grotesque-looking masks out of mud, and they co cover their body in mud. And, uh, yeah, what happened was one time – there's 736 languages in Papua New Guinea because it's so hilly and so thick. The, tr the clans – They all have their own language. They yeah. all have their own language. So one day one clan came over the mountain and attacked this other, uh, this other clan, and the clan that, that, that was attacked didn't want this to happen again. Happen, they didn't want it to happen again, so they uh, put on, made these masks, and they went over the hill and scared the heck out of everyone on the other side. It never happened again. <laughs> I wonder if we were in the same Mudman village. We might have been. My guess is we were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, you go to Myanmar, uh, and uh, we were in Myanmar a couple of years ago, and you go to three basic places: Mandalay, Bagan, and Inlay Lake, and we would see the same people in each of the places. So yeah. I, I think it's it's all the same. Did you feel safe in Myanmar? Yes, 100% safe. I loved. I would love to go back. You know, I would love to go back to Myanmar. All right. What's the best food and worst food in countries that you've been to? Monkey brains in the Philippines <laughs> was bad. I won't even yeah. tell you about that because uh, you don't want to know. Um, is it raw or is it cooked? It's live. It's live. Was alive, yeah. Wow. That's so dangerous. Like from health perspectives, never yeah. mind that it's that it's alive. Why is it so dangerous them? eating brains? Um, What's just because of the diseases that you can get from it. Or, I mean, like mad cow disease. It's very, very bad for you. So yeah. are diseases hard to bring yourself to even dangerous. do that? Well, it was very, very hard. But we're guests of the Philippine Ministry of Tourism working on this project, and you know, went in Rome. But so, and another time, we were in Mongolia. My friend Jack and I were in Mongolia, and you know, again, you have to you have to be part. You know, you can't really say no to something. So we're in this yurt, which is also mm -hmm. full of gear that they move around, and they welcome you in, and they give you this like fermented camel's milk. That you know, as if you want to know it, for, it's pretty hot outside, right? So if you get buy some milk downstairs and put it outside until Sunday, this is kind of like what fermented oh. camel's milk tastes like. Ugh. And then they give you this, uh, like just like the white part of uncooked bacon. So this is like a treat for them. So we go into this yard, and you know, we had to do it. So that was, that was pretty bad. The best food, <laughs> we've had great food. Uh, you know, Japan, great sushi in the uh, in the fish market there, and we've had a pretty. I, I've only gotten sick once in all the countries I've been to. And I think you have horseshoes. That's a miracle. Well, I, I never horseshoes. eat. It's probably in California. He got sick too. <laughs> I, I, I never eat salad, right? I really watch what I eat. I just eat hot food. Uh, I'm very, very careful. Is that a Canadian thing? You have horseshoes. Does that mean you're lucky? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like. I don't know. Maybe it is a Canadian saying. I mean, we grew up on a yeah, farm. I never heard and we, that. Yeah. we used to say, "You've got horseshoes up your ass." Means <laughs> you're good luck. That sounds painful. That doesn't sound lucky. That <laughs> no, sounds that's not lucky. Yeah, that yeah. sounds unfortunate. I can't believe I'm the only one who's. Yeah, no, no, I can believe Renee, it. Renee, there's a lot of things that you're the only one. Hey, yeah. I'm not the only one. It's very common up north. What about learning the, the different cultural do's and don'ts as you travel? Because you know, obviously, you're in the Philippines and. For them, eating monkey brain is a delicacy, and they don't. Do they understand that this is like not cool with you? Or do you, how do you learn about the different things that you need to do in each yeah. each well, that, country? That, well, that was a surprise, an unpleasant yeah. surprise. But uh, I do a lot of research on the web. So we're in Bhutan at the Paro Festival, which is this giant, beautiful festival uh, in April, where again all these people dance around and get dressed up in these beautiful, beautiful outfits. And uh, I knew what was going on in the main festival, but I wanted to go to a little uh, smaller one outside of Paro. And so I'm doing some research, and I'm reading that before the festival, the monks come out and they bless the ground where the performers are going to be dancing. So I know if the ground's blessed, they probably don't want me walking around with my hiking boots, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I do research in a Buddhist temple, as I'm sure you know, you can't go in with your shoes on. So I do a... 
respecting the subject, you know, getting back to the people photography, respecting the subject and respecting the location is very, very important because, uh, and for everyone, for me and for everyone listening, because if I mess up, then for someone's listening, so they want to go to a Buddhist temple and, uh, you know, someone doesn't take their shoes off, oh, we're not going to let that person go in. So I think we're part of a big community here and we have to think about, you know, what we're doing so we don't ruin it for the next photographer. Going back to your, your books and, and being an author of 37 books, what advice do you have for someone that wants to get in the door with a publisher or um, get their first book in print, not just you know online PDF? Yeah, anyone can do a PDF. Yeah. But today it's a lot harder to get a, a book contract because just the market's not what it was like you know a while ago. I mean, the advances that I got like, 20 years ago were just way bigger than what they are now. So I would my advice would be to never give up. A, f find something that you think will sell. You know, what, what subject would someone be interested in? Like you might be interested in, uh, you might, might be interested in people with blue hair. I don't know if that would be a big seller. It's called Smurfing. It's called Smurfing. But if you, if you did a book on, uh, you know, cool fashions with like torn pants and boots and the cool little uh, earrings, you know, a look, it would be a bigger seller. So you have to think about is, is anyone really interested in what I want to talk about? So my books, I, I think about this. I'm, I have a book coming out on exposure, one on creative visualization came out, uh, one on travel photography, one on the evolution of an image, which is what I'm talking about here, a Photoshop world. So... You have to think about it, and you have to make a commitment because there's a lot of times where some authors are there and say, what am I doing? You know, is anyone going to buy this? So, so are, are book sales declining just with the age of digital? I, I'm sure they're declining. My books are still doing well because I promote the heck out of them, and I promote the heck out of my classes on Kelby. And uh, This I, is where you drop the mic and just walk out of the room. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, you, have to, you have to promote because yeah. you could have the best product, but if you don't tell anybody about it, and actually Facebook ads help. You know, Facebook ads, spending money on Facebook, if you're going to do something, definitely helps. Can you tell us a little bit about the evolution of an image? Yeah, the evolution of an image, I actually got the idea from, ever hear of Ansel Adams? Yes, yes I know Ansel Adams. <laughs> he made some sort of system, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, he had yeah. some kind of system. <laughs> some... Uh, he has a book, uh, 40 Photographs, and he talks about the making of the 40 photographs. So I took 50 images, and I talk about the process, like what's it like? What's it like to be like uh, in Kenya, in the Maasai Mara, where we're driving around looking for animals? So I talk about the environment. Then I talk about what lenses I'm using. And then I talk about the settings. And then I talk about the processing. So it's just not a book of pretty pictures. You see all my outtakes, <laughs> right? And you see my dumb luck shots. But I talk about you know, t how today processing is just so very, very important. Are you into printing? I'm not that into uh, I'm not that into printing. I'm into uh, you know if I'm going to get into that, you know, I'm going to have to you know spend some time calibrating and things like that and recalibrating because you have to do this all the time. So I only have two or three pictures of my of mine in my house. Who are some photographers still working today that you really admire, respect, or look up to? The photographers today that I really admire. Uh, you know, Lindsay Adler, is she going to be on your show? She, she was, was here yesterday. yesterday. Yeah, she's a friend of ours. She's I, great. I think she's going to be like the next, you know, uh, Annie Leibovitz. We, I actually hired her in the podcast yesterday. She's going <laughs> to... Yeah. Okay. Here we go again. <laughs> well, well, it's going to be a great photograph. Yeah, you know I, th the, I think the more you know the big, we say it, the more it's going to happen. I know. No, I know. You know the big image of Burt Reynolds on a bearskin rug? That's going to be you next? No, it's going to be Rob, but he's going to be covered in Vaseline. <laughs> And Lindsay is going to hang it above her <coughs> fireplace. I'm only going to do it if Lindsay photographs it and she hangs it in her living room. Six-foot uh, canvas. She said she's going to be able to get that donated if we do it. And I was like, I'll send you Rob. But <laughs> I don't want it free. I want someone to pay dearly for that print. It's got to be expensive. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll crowdfund it, Rob. Don't worry. I'm Everyone in the RGG community is totally behind this. Oh, All right. God. We're in on this. I'll but, donate. I won't look, but I'll donate. Right. <laughs> well, we're not, you're not going to see genitals, you know? Yeah. It, I know, but it's, it's implied nudity, but yeah. it's nudity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or we could use genitals. I don't know. 
I'm not looking. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've digressed again. Oh, God. So We've done it again. Sorry, Rick. So, oh. Lindsay. Yeah. Lindsay Aller. She wanted to be a cabin explorer of light for like 10 years or longer, and now she is. And I'm so proud of her. And so she's a great example of uh, hard work and yeah. never giving up, like I was saying. Uh, do you guys know Jonathan Scott, the big cat man? He was uh, no. he had a TV series in the 80s. It's called Big Cat Diaries. And he is so passionate about animals. And he is a, actually, uh, what's today? On April 20. Tomorrow, April 21st, I know we're recording this on the 20th. On the 21st, uh, on Netflix, Netflix has a series sponsored by Canon Australia called Tales by Light. Yeah. Art Wolf was in the... Art Wolf was in... He... Did you see the episode? Yeah. He photographed the Mudmen. That was the exact same chief that we photographed. Yeah, everyone goes the same Mudmen. The same (laughs) Mudmen. He shook us down for at least 30 bucks. I Yeah. Well, I pay everyone, too. Yeah. But uh, Jonathan Scott, who's friends with Art Wolf, Big Cat Man, it's, uh, the National Geographic did a, a, a show on him for the Tales by Light. So I, I can't wait to see that. But Jonathan Scott is a person. Anyone listening should do a search on uh, YouTube, Jonathan Scott, Big Cat Man. He's someone I really would love to be more like. He is so compassionate, so dedicated such a nice person and i met him quite by accident that we were in antarctica we happened to be on the same ship i didn't know who he was because i didn't watch you know big cat diaries so he and his wife uh angie were on the ship and it's actually kind of a funny story <clears throat> she had some dust on her sensor so i said uh i could clean it for you because i saw them uh, with their cameras so I have that the liquid, you know, the Eclipse liquid and the little swab. Yeah. So I go to her cabin, their cabin, and uh, I clean it, and I hold up, take a picture of the sky and check it, and it's worse. So I clean it <laughs> oh again, and it's worse. So this is like the top-of-the-line Canon camera at the time. This is about five years ago. So I said, I can't believe this. This never happened. I always clean my sensor. It's always perfect. I said, did anyone else try to clean it? Well, the thing is, the night before, this kid on the boat, she asked the kid to clean it. He had just eaten a bag of pretzels, okay? Oh, so he's, I'm not kidding. And he opened the thing and go, so there's salt spray, you know, on a sensor so that I was just moving back and forth. So I think salt spray on your sensor is, is worse than eating monkey brains. Wow. <laughs> but anyway. That's a statement right there. So anyway, the thing I think photographers have to do and what people have to do is we have to have our radar on radar on all the time we have to have what a fighter pilot calls situational awareness we have to be aware of everything that's going on around you whether that camera's on or whether the board is uh, you know being worked or the sound guy's asleep or whatever so anyway i think we have to be aware of what's going on around so i said okay i learned he's a big cat man I want to be friends with this guy. Plus, he's so nice. So five years later, he invites us to his house in Nairobi. Okay? So we go to Nairobi, and we went to actually invited us to his house and then uh, for a week on the Maasai Mara. He gave us his safari vehicle for a week. Now, this was a special safari vehicle that had a little balcony on the side. So when you go on safari, you're usually in a vehicle with six or eight or ten people. We had our own vehicle with a balcony so the driver could get me into exactly the right position, okay? And he got me the best guide. So I, he gets a lot of credit for my pictures. But the most moving thing, uh, you probably can't relate to it because you weren't there, but we're leaving at the airport, uh, the Masamari Airport, going back to uh, Nairobi. And this girl comes up to him. And she's crying, Jonathan Scott, you inspired me. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. And I guess this is what I said before, like we're a part of everyone we meet. He had such a big influence on this person and on millions of people. And I think, you know, if you do a search on Jonathan Scott, you'll learn a lot. And watch the Tales tales by Light. So what does inspire you? Traveling in the entire world, seeing so many places, so many people, so many animals. Where do you go for sources of inspiration to continue to create images and and to continue to create music? Well, uh, just the music is just so much fun. Yeah. You know, it's just, uh, I I listen a lot to Spotify. 
you know, my son created this great jazz list. I've studied jazz at Berkeley. So hearing new things inspires me. Getting a new instrument actually inspires me. Do you guys play anything? Guitar, piano? No? I grew up playing the drums, but haven't in a long time. Yeah. Well, music is, music is just uh, wonderful. But it may sound funny, but I think what inspires photographers, I don't want to, I wasn't going to say photographers most, so, but now I don't want to speak for them. I think it's light, you know? Because we were at that Blue Swallow Motel that we were talking about before, and you photograph that during the day. You say, what the heck? We drove up in the day. What the heck are we doing here? But at night, the magic, you know, light is, you know, it's like, you know, you're, it's like a painting. It changes. It. It's really about the light. So it's that and the subject. And when it comes to people, we were in Sri Lanka, and whenever I'm in a place, I say, I'm looking around if there's like 50 people in the ceremony. I say, who's the one person I want to photograph? So I zero in on that one person. There was this uh, girl and her mother in this, uh, at the ceremony. I said, I want to get a picture of her. And I was able to get, look, get it looking right at me. Uh, so I think it's, you know, looking for, on my workshops, I have what I call my one picture promise. And the one picture promise is that if you're in a location and you could only take one picture, like say you had a roll of film, you only had one picture left. What would that one picture be? Uh, you're going to get a much higher percentage of good pictures. And that one picture promise, uh, people leave the workshops to say, I can't believe that that little philosophy changed the way I think because I'm just not going to shoot everything, you know? Be selective. Be very selective, right? Don't use what we call the spray and pray. Or the shotgun, use a bow and arrow approach. It reminds me a little bit of that project, uh, you know, Naked in the House. Have you no. seen that project? Mm -mm. I think it's in New York. I, I don't know if it's still going. It was going on for a number of years. It, it's a, um, you know, this house with a model, and then these photographers go in with one roll of film each, and they have to capture, you know, an incredible, and it, it's... And she's naked? Well, it's nude photography, but, it, you know, it's a similar concept of you're very limited, you have, and, yeah. and a limited amount of time as well to create yeah. an, an image or a series of images with one roll of film. It's a great project. I, I can't believe you guys have no, I have, I have to look into that. This well, is pretty cool. But well, I can't, I can't believe you're going to the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> but this is film days, This is generation guys. days. This is film, this is this is film days. So, I mean, that's... Anyway. That, so, actually... So, go ahead. I think I did hear that. Go ahead. I'm having a good time. You guys are doing a great job. I've been on a lot of shows... And I think you're doing a great job. Oh, thank so you. I'm having fun. I hope you're having as much fun. We have, yeah. good, we, oh, we have a great time. We love this. And, and We've been us, drinking all morning. So yeah. Like yeah, I saw the Roman Cokes. I think I might have one on the way out. For us, it's about not being scripted. It's not about yep. writing questions out. Because I think that leads to the same rote question and answer sessions yep. that you have in so many different podcasts. And we want to see where it goes. And we want to know about you and your personality. So yeah. that's, that's the whole point of our I podcast. think it's also important, too, that we're actually in the room with the person and we're not, it would be easy for us to yeah. do it over the phone, but that's something that we will probably never do because of that, the connection of just looking in someone in, in the right. eye and it's, it's a lot harder that for connection you. again, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's all about connection. It's a lot harder for you to hang up on us if you're in the room, <laughs> <Yeah. you know? laughs> which we're definitely afraid that people are just going to go forget. No, <laughs> we're bragging yeah. with rum and Coke. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Um, I have a question then because I don't get the opportunity to talk to people who've had such a, an extensive career that you have. Uh, one question that gets asked a lot is what advice do you have for beginners? And that, of course, you know, you've answered that as well. What kind of advice do you have for people who've been doing this for 10 or 15 years? You know, what would you tell, what did you talk to somebody who's been doing this for 10 or 15 years and plans on doing it for another 10 or 15 years? Well, if they're happy, I would say, uh, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. But I would say, I think it's like going back to your script. Don't get stale. Don't get old. Uh, you know, how do you, how do you remix? How do you? Well, you just have to keep learning, trying new stuff. I was at the Julian Costa talk this morning. There's so many new things in Lightroom that can actually expand our creativity. You know, with my guitar, I have I have like a little synthesizer about as big as this, uh, actually maybe four times bigger than my iPhone here that makes every sound. So playing a different sound creates a different mood. And I think challenging yourself is very, very important. Like when I get... I. I give like 20 seminars a year. Not one of them is the same. You know, I'm always trying to mix it up because a lot of people come to the same se seminars and I don't want them to be bored. You know, I, I do tell them some of the same jokes. <laughs> <laughs> the 
Did you hear this Papua New Guinea joke? Well, may, well I don't think know, I did. You know, photographers like to travel, right? Sure. And, you know, pilots like to travel. Uh, you know, cooks, chefs like to travel. Well, clowns, you know, in the circus, they, they like hanging out. They like to travel, too. So two cannibals, uh, there's this troop of clowns, you know, traveling in Papua New Guinea. So one gets captured, killed. So two cannibals are eating this clown. Two cannibals are eating the clown, and one cannibal turns to the other and says, does this taste funny? <laughs> Sorry. It's terrible. I know. It's a terrible I know it's a, a bad terrible joke, joke. That's Rick, a dad joke. joke. I know. I know. Face I, Paul. But I like I think, Okay. Okay. Guess what? Listeners, they're, no, they're, 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 like, they're like the hand under the neck. They're like cut, cut them out. Okay. They're, they're, they're looking at their watches. But I think, you know, getting back to the, uh, the advice is – if you're bored, just just do something different. Go someplace for uh, go someplace for inspiration. You know, there's a great book out actually called "Steal Like an Artist." That's an excellent book. It's an, excellent, an excellent book, book. and it starts out with a quote by Salvador Dali. It says, uh, "Those who do not want to imitate anything create nothing." <laughs> so, right? so yeah. you know, if you're bored, try to copy. I have a picture. Uh, Maybe you saw it on my website. I copied Vermeer's The Girl with the Pearl Earring. Mm -hmm. And that was so much fun. I copied a Frida Kahlo uh, poster. So I think challenging yourself and trying to do stuff uh, different. Well, sure. Imitation actually teaches you because you're you're trying to break down – you know what somebody else did yeah. you're analyzing it, you're studying it, you're trying to figure it out and then put that into practice and that yeah. does teach you how to then manipulate things in your own way do your own thing absolutely and i think another way to stay motivated is to stay healthy yeah and i go for two walks every day a 45 minute walks we live in westchester where it's very hilly and i don't bring a camera and i just think you know everyone is so busy texting and things like that when do you have time to think Right. So I think if you give yourself time to think, you'll come up with uh, new ideas. That's sound advice. I like yeah. it. I actually have an ebook, uh, How to Get Motivated and Stay Inspired. So where can people find your books and your, and uh, your stuff? The bookstore, Rob, come on. Yeah, yeah. well, Rick Salmon. Rick, <laughs> everything's, on Rick, everything's on uh, ricksalmon.com. Yeah. Or uh, Papua New Guinea uh, bookstore, I think. My, no. <laughs> <laughs> I look in July. Yeah. Man, I'm jealous. You're going to have fun. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I think we're going up. Up river on a wooden canoe or something weird. On the Sepik River. Yeah. Yeah. Were you on the Sepik River before? No, not before, no. Yeah. We were up in the mountains. We were on a liverboard ship on the uh, Sepik called the Sepik Spirit because the whole spirit, you know, in Papua New Guinea, you don't wake up anyone when they're sleeping because they feel when you're asleep, your spirit leaves your body and takes revenge on people who have done bad things to you. But anyway, I changed well, that's, that's that. That's bad thought. I can get in on that. That's cool. Yeah. She could get in on yeah. it. So Renee yeah. can get in on it. But anyway, we're on the Sepik, Sepik Spirit, which you'll see when you're there. I changed the name of it to the Sepik Shopper because every time it pulled on shore, there's like, a, you know, hundreds of people selling, you know, beads and stuff like that. Nice. So what now are you most looking forward to? What's on the horizon? Rum and Coke, you offered that, right? <laughs> uh, I think... We only have bourbon. You're going to be sorely... Yeah, no, we don't have any rum. No. Uh, I think we're going to China in, uh, next month in May. We're going to China. And I'm looking forward to playing a lot of guitar and working on more books. And uh, see, I don't relax. People say, oh, I want to be your... Uh, well, I, I guess... Playing guitar is kind of relaxing. I want to be your assistant. I want to do that. No one could work for me. No one? No, because time moves for me at a different – my wife tells me this. It moves at a different rate. So like if someone's working for me and uh, I, I would need something done, we tried this a few times, and it was just never done fast enough. Yeah. Or I don't have time. That That's what drives me crazy. When I was – do we have time to tell another story? Oh, yeah. Sure. When I was the editor of this magazine, Studio Photography, uh, the boss comes in one day, so I'm 28, and he says, Salmon, I need this done. He, uh, I needed to lay out the imposition, what's called the imposition, which is where you put the pictures and the type and everything on the page. So I said, Mr. Mashke, I said, I'm too busy to do it. Well, we had just had a Jacqueline Smith from Charlie's Angels, mm -hmm. remember? She's still beautiful on the cover. He says, Salmon. I said, I don't have time to do it. He said, Salmon, who's the most beautiful girl in the world? I said, well, I think Jacqueline Smith. She might be the most beautiful girl in the world. 
He says, Salmon, if she called you up and if she wanted to have lunch with you for 20 minutes, would you do it? I said, sure. He said, get to work. (laughs) (laughs) I've told that story a million times, including to my son. And the point is, no matter how busy you are, if you want to do something, you can do it. So people say, how do you write 37 books and have 14 classes on Kelby and play guitar? You just make the time. But my time does move at a different pace. Sound advice. Prioritize. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's the other thing, being organized. For some, time management for a photographer is so important. You know, you're working on a deadline for a book, deadline for this, deadline, you know, for whatever. So, But the longer you do it, you know, the easier it becomes. Nice. Well, Rick, thank you so much for stopping by. It was a pleasure meeting you. Yeah, hey, we really it enjoyed was it. Same here. You guys are great. I hope we can do this again sometime. Absolutely. Yeah. We'd love to have you back. Absolutely. It's fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, appreciate so it. To download this podcast, go to rggedupodcast.com where you can download the entire season, or you can also stream it for free on iTunes, MySpace. Right, Rob? MySpace. Right. Stitcher. <laughs> Stitcher, Google. What's the last one? Um, SoundCloud. Yes. Yeah. You're getting good. You're getting yeah. good. Uh, one of these days I'll get it. Halfway all right. through. All right. Let's all whisper bye. On three. Okay? One, two, three. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The podcast is over. But before you go, I just wanted to let you know that I always take a penny from the penny tray at the gas station, but I never leave one. 